six people on the way to your seat. Uh, tell them I came to rejoice tonight. I came to rejoice tonight. Whoa. Hallelujah. Anybody grateful to be in the house of the Lord on a Tuesday night? Amen. Amen. You can be seated. We want to take a brief opportunity to say welcome to all of our guests that are here tonight. Would you help me one more time? Put your hands together. Come on, give me a, give me a little help tonight uh, and welcome all of our guests that are here. We're so excited that you joined us on Tuesday night to everybody streaming online. We're excited that you tuned in to see what's happening here at the Rock Church of Fort Myers. We are having a time in the Holy Ghost this week. Was anybody blessed by what God did in this place on Sunday? What a powerful, powerful touch of God was in this place. Did y'all recognize how many guests were in the building on Sunday morning? God moved in such a powerful, powerful way and uh, many, many, many God connections as God continues to pour out unprecedented revival at the Rock Church. And then Sunday night, such a powerful move of God, uh, we were not even able to dismiss the service. Uh, we, just, we just stayed lingering in the presence of God, and uh, I'm so thankful for what God is doing. Amen, somebody. Want to remind you that Christmas Eve uh, is a Saturday. Christmas Day falls on Sunday this year, and we will be having one service at 11 o'clock, our Christmas Day service. It's going to be awesome. You don't want to miss what God's going to be doing here. And then another reminder that we will be having our annual Christmas Eve service on Saturday night, Christmas Eve, it's going to be crazy. You don't want to miss it. It is going to be a Holy Ghost party. And uh, there's no telling what God's going to do in this place on New Year's Eve. Amen, somebody. Amen. Turn to your neighbor, tell him this Sunday night. This Sunday night, we will be having a communion and foot washing service. Amen. And if you are a part of this church, uh, I am asking you to please do whatever you have to do uh, to remove any potential obstacles or anything that might keep you from being able to be here in service this upcoming Sunday night as we, uh, as we participate in a powerful uh, ritual uh, that is an important part of the New Testament church and we want to be together as the body of Christ on this Sunday evening amen somebody and so it is to that end uh, that tonight I want to take a little bit of time to teach uh, about communion I'm going to teach about communion tonight and then on Sunday night I will teach uh, a little bit on foot washing prior to us participating in communion and foot washing. How many of you thank God for his word tonight? I am so grateful that our lives are built on the word of God. And so we want to get into the scriptures tonight. The book of Luke chapter 22 is where I want to invite you to read the word of the Lord with me. 
as we stand in honor of the reading of the word tonight. Uh, the book of Luke chapter 22 is where I want to begin. While you're finding Luke 22, just another PSA, you should have already thrown away all your Thanksgiving leftovers. <laughs> Some of y'all yet holding on. Those greens smell like dirty socks. There's stuff wiggling all up in that ham and turkey. Let it go. Tell your neighbor, let it go. Let it go. Let it go. <laughs> Amen. Luke chapter 22. Want to begin reading at verse number 13. It says, and they went and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. Somebody say the Passover. And when the hour was come, he sat down and the 12 apostles with him. And he said unto them, with desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took bread and gave thanks and break it and gave unto them saying, this is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Now let me take a moment here in our reading to clarify that we do not teach, preach, or believe in the false doctrine of transubstantiation. And if you don't know what that means, it is a false teaching that declares that when you drink of the fruit of the vine and you eat of the bread, that it literally becomes the blood and body of Jesus. Uh, this can be found taught and preached in several world religions, uh, predominantly in the Catholic uh, religion. But the Bible is very clear to us in the words of Jesus that he says, this do in remembrance of me. It is not literal blood and body, but it is rather a memorial. Likewise, also the cup after supper, saying this cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. For a few moments tonight, I'm simply going to teach, preach about communion. Would you put your Bibles down and one more time, put your hands together 
and give God a great praise all over this house tonight. Come on, I think we can do a little bit better than that. Let's thank God for his word in this house tonight. Are you grateful for the word of the Lord? Hallelujah. You may be seated tonight. I encourage you, if you've got pen and paper, to take notes. And uh, we don't want to just be hearers of the word. We want to be doers of the word. And if we're going to be doers of the word, we've got to hide his word in our heart. Amen, somebody. So in order to really contextualize and understand communion, you must first understand that in a sense, Luke chapter 22 encapsulates a transfer of the old covenant of the Passover to the new covenant of the ultimate Passover lamb, which would be Christ's broken body. Now let me start here tonight by reminding us that the word of God is divided into two major divisions. The first one is called the old, and the new one is called the new. These are the two major divisions of scripture. You understand that the word testament is simply vernacular that is used literally to describe somebody's will. We use this in modern society when people want to make sure that after they have passed away that their will is accomplished concerning their assets and their authority in making decisions. They write a will and testament. And so it is through this lens that we understand the entirety of the scriptures, understanding that the Old Testament contains in its, in its essence the will of God as expressed in canonized word and scripture. The New Testament is not a testament in which God changed his mind, but rather it takes place after the death of the testator, and it is the expression of the will of God concerning the Old Testament. Amen, somebody. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse number 16 says that where there is a testament, uh, that there must also be the death of the testator. For a testament is of force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. My Will and testament says you can have my money after I die. If you try to take it before I die, you're a thief. But after I die, my testament now takes effect. And everything that I wrote down as my will can now be seen in action after my death. Amen, somebody. And so this is precisely what we see happening here concerning the Passover. 
Now, in order for us to back up and, and get a running start at this tonight, we first have to look at the book of Exodus chapter number 12, which is the institution of the Passover celebration. Tell your neighbor, let's study tonight. Exodus chapter 12 and verse number one says this, and the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt saying, this month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. He is setting the stage for a reoccurring thematic principle that would be an annual recognition and celebration. This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying... In the tenth day of this month, they shall take to them every man a lamb. Somebody shout a lamb. According to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. For every house, there's going to be a lamb. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. In other words, if the lamb is too big, if it's too much for your house, then you've got to share it with your neighbor. I don't want to get ahead of myself tonight, but how many of you understand that the lamb is too big for your house? That what God has done for you uh, is too much for you to keep to yourself. Uh, that the mercy and the grace uh, and the testimony of deliverance that God has given uh, for your house uh, is too much for you to keep in the four walls uh, of what God has done for you. Uh, you got to share it with your neighbor. Uh, you got to tell somebody else uh, about what Jesus uh, has done for you. Amen, somebody. He goes on to say that your lamb shall be without blemish. This is important. A male of the first year. Ye shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. And ye shall keep it up until the 14th day of the same month. And take. Somebody say and take. He shall keep it under the 14th day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side post and on the upper doorpost of the houses wherein ye or they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread and with bitter herbs. Herbs, they shall eat it. 
eat it not eat not of it raw nor sodden at all with water but roast with fire his head with his legs and with the pertinence thereof I don't have time to preach the significance of all of this but this was not them preparing the Thanksgiving turkey this was not them finding all of their favorite seasonings and cooking it at the right temperature. As a matter of fact, he said, I don't want you to put extra water in it. I want the herbs to be bitter herbs, and I want you to cook the whole thing. You're not going to take the guts out of it. You're not going to clean it. You're going to cook the entire animal. How many of you think that sounds delicious? I want you to put it together with his head, his legs, with all of his insides, and ye shall let nothing of it remain until the morning. And that which remaineth of it until the morning, ye shall burn with fire. Verse number 11, he says, and thus shall ye eat it with your loins girded, with your shoes on your feet, with your staff in your hand and ye shall eat it in haste it is the Lord's Passover. Now I want you to get the picture. Uh, he said you are about to experience uh, my hand of deliverance uh, from Egypt. Uh, I'm about to take you uh, out of a lifetime of bondage uh, and I'm about to take you out of here uh, into a life uh, of liberty. Uh, and the last thing that I want you to eat uh, is a meal uh, that is bitter, uh, that is tough, uh, that isn't something that that, that is tasteful to you uh, because I want you to have the last taste uh, in your mouth in Egypt uh, is going to be a taste of bitterness. Uh, the last thing I want you to remember uh, about Egypt isn't the good old days. Uh, I don't want you to remember the times uh, when you were under a delusion uh, that you were having fun. Uh, I don't want you to remember the times uh, that you were up under deception uh, and thought you were having a good time. Uh, but I want the last thing uh, that activates your senses uh, to be a reminder to you uh, of how bitter it was uh, how dry that lifestyle was uh, uh, come on is there anybody that catching uh, what I'm saying this uh, is the last meal uh, that I want you to eat uh, before you leave uh, Egypt and he said when you eat the meal don't eat it in your pajamas, but get your clothes on. Get your shoes laced up. Pack your bags and have it sitting at the door. Why? Because when you get done eating, I want you to be ready to go. When I open the door, I don't want you lingering behind. I don't want you saying, hold up, wait a minute. When I open the door of deliverance, I want you to be in a posture that says, I'm ready to get up out of here. I'm ready to leave this bondage. I'm ready to leave this torment. I'm ready to get from the place of bondage into the place of promise. This is how he wanted them to remember his deliverance in their life. 
Verse 12, he said, for I will pass through the land of Egypt this night. Now let me stop here for a moment to clarify another theological error that is prominent in the church world. How many of you have ever heard people teach or preach about the death angel flying over Egypt to kill the firstborn? How many of you understand there is no such thing in the Bible as the death angel flying over Egypt? It's not there. You can't find it. Uh, there is no death angel. What you will find is God himself uh, said that I uh, will pass over uh, through the land of Egypt uh, this night. There was no death angel, uh, just a sovereign God uh, who said I uh, will pass through the land of Egypt uh, and I will smite all of the firstborn in the land of Egypt both man and beast and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment for I am the Lord and the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are Whoa. I want to get ahead of myself, but I got to hold up right here. He said, you're going to take the blood from that lamb and you're going to put it over the doorpost of the house. And when I see the blood... I will pass uh, over you. When I come to execute judgment against Egypt uh, and I see the blood over your house, uh, I'm going to let judgment pass over you. Uh, I'm going to let grace and mercy uh, cover you when I see uh, the blood. Brother Donnelly, most people don't even remember this, but years and years ago, the, we used to sing an old hymn that said, when I see the blood. Anybody remember that? When I see the blood. When I see the blood. I will pass. I will pass over you. He said, I'll pass over you and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. Now here's where I want to get to tonight. Are you with me? Verse 14, he said, and this day, somebody shout this day, shall be unto you for a memorial. And ye shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. Ye shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. God said this celebration is going to go from generation as long as you live. You are going to take time to stop and remember when I passed over the land. Amen, somebody. And so this became known as the Passover. And it became a celebration. You can read about this over and over in scriptures. The book of Numbers chapter 9. I don't have time to, to go there. You can read about them uh, holding on to the institution and the celebration of the Passover. And the Passover was a memorial feast. 
It was instituted for the nation of Israel and it had two primary reasons for being celebrated. Number one, it was to celebrate the miraculous deliverance of God's people from the tyranny of Egyptian bondage. It was an opportunity for them to remind themselves. You see, that's the trouble with some of us today is we don't frequently enough stop to remember where God brought us from. God knew his people would have a proclivity uh, to forget the hell uh, that he brought them out of. Uh, he knew that his people uh, would have amnesia every once in a while uh, about how difficult uh, and what a, a crazy time it was uh, living under bondage. Uh, and so he said, I want you to set up uh, a day on the calendar. Uh, and when it comes to this day on the calendar, you're going to stop and remember uh, what I did for you. Uh, I think that ought to be a good idea for us tonight uh, to take about 60 seconds uh, and just remember uh, where God brought us from. Uh, some of us forgot the hell uh, that God delivered us out of. Uh, some of us forgot the addictions uh, and the bondage uh, and the depression uh, and the heartache uh, and the loneliness. Uh, and if you forget where God brought you from, uh, you are destined uh, to go back there uh, again. But but every once in a while, uh, you ought to come into the house of God uh, with a Passover praise. Uh, every once in a while, you ought to come into the house of God uh, and say, you know what? Tonight, God, uh, I'm just going to celebrate uh, where you brought me from. Uh, and I'm going to run the aisles uh, like an ex-drug addict. Uh, and I'm going to dance uh, like an ex-alcoholic. Uh, and I'm going to shout tonight uh, like an ex-prostitute. Uh, and I'm going to shout tonight uh, like somebody uh, that used to be uh, a whoremonger. Uh, oh yeah, I'm not too cute uh, to remember where God brought me from. Uh, you see these Gucci shoes I got on, uh, they know how to give God the praise. Uh, I don't look too good uh, to remember uh, where God brought me uh, from. Oh, I came to tell somebody uh, that's the key to your deliverance uh, is to remember uh, where God brought you from. You should never get so cute uh, that you can't give God a praise uh, for what he did for you. Oh, God's been better to some of us uh, than we're giving him praise for tonight. Uh, if you could just sit back and remember uh, everything God has done for you, uh, you'd understand why I'm shouting tonight. Uh, you'd understand why I've got a praise on my lips tonight. Hey! Every once in a while, uh, Bishop R.L. Williams uh, has to remember uh, the little boy that was 13 years old uh, that was stuck in bondage, uh, that God found him uh, and said, listen, uh, get your shoes on, boy. Uh, I'm about to bring you out of this bondage. Uh, listen, boy, uh, pick your head up. Uh, I'm about to bring you out uh, of dysfunction uh, and problems uh, and struggles. Uh, every once in a while I gotta remember uh, where God brought me from uh, so excuse me uh, if I lose my dignity every once in a while uh, and I gotta throw my tie off uh, and I gotta dance uh, until the sweat rolls down my brow uh, I've got to remember uh, where God brought me from somebody ought to praise him somebody ought to praise him in this place tonight uh, 
Somebody ought to remember what he did for you tonight. Come on, your testimony is more powerful uh, than your praise tonight. Uh, you ain't always looked that good. Uh, you ain't always been that happy. Uh, you've not always been that blessed. Uh, you better lift your voice and give God a praise. You can sit there if you if you want to, but I've got to praise him. You can sit there if you want to. I've got to shout. I've got to dance. Uh-huh. God said, don't you forget it. God said, I don't want you to forget what I did for you. Matter of fact, I want it to go from generation to generation. Your babies will never feel the whip on their back, but I want them to see mom and dad give God the praise. I want them to be able to tell the story of how God brought, come on, I'm preaching to some moms and dads in the building. You better let your babies see you give God the praise. You better let them babies know, hey, it wasn't always this good. It wasn't always like this. Let me tell you you uh, where God brought us from. Uh, let me tell you uh, where God uh. Whoa! Yeah. the Passover we're going to celebrate the miraculous deliverance of God's people and secondly it was to refresh that occasion in the mind of God's people every year so that they would never forget that God delivered them and established them as a nation. The Bible says that ye should show forth the praise of him that hath brought you out of darkness into his marvelous light. It goes on to say who in time past were not a people but now are the people of God. Hey, you ought to show forth the praise oh yeah God's been too good to me for me to sit down on a Tuesday night like I'm something God been too good to me for me to let my tired body keep me quiet on a Tuesday night I've got to declare the goodness of Jesus in my life Come on, I feel like preaching to some moms and dads. If you want your babies to live for God when they grow up, you better let them see you give God the praise. If you want to see your babies not take for granted the grace and mercy of God, they better see you give God the praise. You've heard me preach it before, but don't you ever forget that when Michael sat in the window and despised David's worship as he danced before the Lord, part of her problem was that she was the daughter of a king. Her daddy was Saul. And the problem is that she never saw her daddy worship like that. 
And when the babies don't see their parents praise God like that, it'll be in one generation that they will look at it and say it's strange. It's unnecessary. It's not what we need. Come on, somebody. It only takes one generation to see mom and dad sit on a pew when God's been good to them. It only takes one generation to watch you distracted in a church service instead of giving God the praise. Baby, you ought to let your babies know God has been good to us. He's worthy of our praise. That's why I run the aisles. That's why I spin in circles. That's why I shout. He's worthy of more than I can give him. That's why David said, if you think that was something, you ain't seen nothing yet. I just got motivated to give him a greater praise. I just got motivated to give Gotta praise him. My praise. I don't know why I'm stopped here for a moment. I'm not even supposed to be hollering. I'm supposed to be saving my voice tonight. That's how we do, that's how we show value to our babies about our God that we serve. Worship. The word worship means comes from the word worthship. It means to place value on something. It means to show how much something is worth to you. That's why Psalm 150 says to praise him according to his excellent greatness. In other words, if God has done nothing for you, then your praise should be reflective of nothing. But if God's been good to you, then your praise ought to reflect his goodness. If he's barely been good to you, then just be satisfied with a little Baptist hand clap. But if God ever made a way where there was no, if God ever opened a door that no man could shut, if God ever did something, baby, your praise ought to be according to it. They ought to be able to look at you and say they must serve a big God. They ought to be able to see your worship and say their God is a great God. Great praise. He's worthy of great praise. He's worthy of a louder shout. He's worthy of a more vigorous hand clap. He's worthy of more dancing. He's worthy of more shouting. He's worthy of more. I shall be more vile than thus. See, and that was David's testimony. He said, hold up. He said, I was praising God like this before I ever became king. (laughs) No, 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 you got this messed up. This isn't somebody trying to show off in front of everybody. No, no, no. I was giving God the praise all the way back here on a mountainside when I was a nothing and a nobody. I was giving God the praise. So, baby, if you think I'm trying to be cute, let me kick off these cute little heels. Let me pull off this tie for just a moment. Let me toss out my jacket for a moment and show you that my praise is rich. Come on. Somebody give God a praise tonight. 
Come on, it's Tuesday night Bible study. I don't know why y'all acting crazy. <laughs> and so, this is the backdrop of Luke chapter 22. This is happening during the feast of the Passover. And it is during this celebration, this remembrance of what God has done for them, that Jesus institutes a fresh revelation concerning the Passover celebration. There is no question that the Passover was a type of Christ's future death. I don't know if y'all ready for this tonight. Get from me Hebrews chapter 9 media team. Is this all right tonight? And let's go to verse number 15. I, I think all the way through verse 22. L look at this. Uh, Hebrews 9 15. And for this cause... He, somebody say Jesus, is the mediator of the New Testament. You see, when you have a will and testament and you pass away, you need to have a mediator. Or in common lingo, an executor, an executor of your will. What is their job? It is to make sure your will is accomplished. For this cause, Jesus is the mediator of the New Testament. That by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Next verse. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. Read on. For a testament is a force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. 18. Whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. Ah. The first uh, testament uh, was dedicated with blood, uh, uh, the blood of bulls uh, and of goats. Uh, and in Exodus 12, our part of our text, uh, it was the blood uh, of a lamb uh, that instituted uh, the first uh, testament. Next verse. Uh, are you with me? For when Moses uh, had spoken every precept uh, to all the people uh, according to the law, uh, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop sprinkled both the book and all the people. Next verse saying this is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined to you. Can you see the picture of Moses with the blood of the animals as he consecrates the new or the old testament of God to the people? Verse 21 
Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both uh, the tabernacle uh, and all the vessels uh, of the ministry. Next verse, stay in front of me. Uh, and almost all things uh, are by the law purged uh, with blood. Uh, everything, if it was going to be sanctified, uh, if it was going to be set apart uh, for God's use and purpose, uh, it had to be sanctified uh, and purged uh, with blood. Uh, and without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. My God, I need a Holy Ghost church up in this place. Next verse. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of the things in the heavens should be purified with these but the heavenly things themselves uh, with better uh, sacrifices uh, than these. It's going to take more than the blood of a bull uh, or a goat uh, or a lamb uh, to sanctify people. Uh, it's going to require a better sacrifice uh, for Christ uh, is not entered into the holy places uh, made with hands. He didn't have to walk into the earthly tabernacle, uh, which are the figures uh, of the true. Uh, that tabernacle in the Old Testament uh, was just a figurine. Uh, it was just a representation uh, of the real thing, uh, of the true. Uh, but Christ entered uh, into heaven uh, itself, uh, now to appear uh, in the presence of God uh, for us. Next verse. Uh, Nor yet that he should offer himself uh, Often uh, as the high priest entereth in the holy place every year with the blood of others. Uh, for then must he often have suffered uh, since the foundation of the world. Uh, but now uh, once uh, in the end of the world uh, hath he appeared uh, to put away uh, the sin uh, by the sacrifice uh, of himself. was God and he was the lamb and he was the priest offering the blood on the sacrifice and so we see the transition are you with me tonight from the Old Testament to the New Testament revelation concerning the Passover. The Passover is no longer going to be us remembering Egypt and lambs and doorposts. But the Passover is now going to be us uh, remembering the fulfillment uh, as the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. is the Lamb of God not slain for the sins of a nation but now slain for the sins of the world John chapter 1 and verse 29 says the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith behold the Lamb of God which taketh away 
the sin of the world. And again in 1 Corinthians 5 and 7, the apostle Paul references it like this. Purge out therefore the old leaven uh, that ye may be a new lump uh, as ye are unleavened for even Christ uh, our Passover uh, is sacrificed uh, for us. Are you with me? Exodus 12 is being fulfilled in Luke 22. Passover lamb, according to the ordinances of Exodus chapter 12, was to be without blemish. Exodus 12 and 5 said, Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep and from the goats. Christ fulfills the scripture. First Peter 1 and 19 says, But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. The Passover according to Exodus 12 and 7, the lamb had to be killed. And they shall take of the blood and strike it uh, on the two side posts uh, and on the upper doorpost uh, of the houses uh, wherein they shall eat it. Uh, and so Christ uh, fulfills this in Hebrews 9, uh, 22 and 23. We just read it. Uh, Almost all things are by the law purged uh, with blood uh, and without the shedding of blood uh, is no uh, remission. Uh, it was therefore necessary uh, that the pattern of the things in the heavens uh, should be purified with these uh, but the heavenly things themselves uh, with better uh, sacrifices uh, than these I can see them uh, taking the blood of the lamb uh, and saying this is my house uh, this is the doorway to my house uh, I gotta put the blood uh, over the entrance uh, into my home uh, and the blood is on the doorpost uh, and the blood uh, is on the mantle over their head uh, but in the New Testament uh, the Bible said no ye not uh, that your body uh, is the temple uh, of the Holy Ghost uh, which ye have of God uh, and ye are not your own uh, therefore glorify God uh, with your body uh, and your spirit which are uh, God's in the Old Testament uh, the blood had to go over the doorpost of the house uh, but in the New Testament uh, the blood has to go uh, over the doorpost uh, of the heart of man uh, and it's a circumcision uh, made without uh, hands uh, and when you're baptized in Jesus name uh, almost all things uh, are by the law purged uh, with blood uh, and without the shedding of blood uh, there is no uh, remission there's only one other place in scripture uh, where the word remission is used uh, and that is Acts chapter 2 uh, and verse number 38 uh, that you must be baptized uh, in Jesus name uh, for uh, the remission uh, of uh, your sins. When you're baptized in Jesus' name, the blood of that lamb is applied to the doorpost of your heart and you are sanctified as, oh, I just wish I had a praiser in the building. When I see the blood. I will pass over you. And so in all of this, 
Christ is our Passover. And so it is no accident that this Passover and the institution of communion is established in synchronicity with the Passover celebration. It is during this very time that God said this is going to be a memorial to the broken body and the shed blood of Christ. Partaking of the Lord's Supper is commanded by Christ. Luke 22 and 19 says, and he took bread and gave thanks and break it, gave unto them saying, this is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. You partake the broken bread. It's going to be that annual reminder of the price that I paid to bring you out of your sin. Do this in remembrance of me. It's important to note that there is no set time given in Scripture for how often the communion was to be taken. But instructions are given that as oft as you drink it and as oft as you eat it, do it in remembrance of him. Something powerfully important about the word communion. There are basically three rites in the New Testament church. Not R-I-G-H-T-S, but R-I-T-E-S, rites, rituals. They are baptism, foot washing, and communion. Three rites of the New Testament church. And Paul says it in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-five. After the same manner also he took the cup which he had supped saying this cup is the new testament in my blood remember the bible's earlier talked about moses initiating the testament with the blood of animals but now jesus is saying this cup is my blood in the new testament this is my cup. The Bible says, this do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. And so it is evident that there is powerful spiritual implications, supernatural Implication to communion and even foot washing. There are three spiritual significance concerning communion that I want to highlight tonight. Number one, 
It is the commemoration of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four. 24. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. The second spiritual significance is that communion is a double look backward to Christ's death, but forward to Christ's return. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six 26, as, for, as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. We look backward in appreciation of what God did for us. And we look forward in anticipation for what he is, when he comes for us. The third spiritual implication to communion is that it is a time of self-examination. And music, you, you can come. I'm, I'm not too far away from being done. <clears throat> First Corinthians 11 and 28. The Apostle Paul said, but let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. This is done prior to participating in communion. There's to be a time of self-examination where we put our fingers down from pointing at other people. Where we lay aside blaming other people. And instead, we turn inwardly. We begin to allow God to speak to us concerning the potential of our own deficiencies. One place the Bible says that if a man eateth or drinketh unworthily, they bring maladies and even death upon themselves. Now let me clarify something here because this is also a place where Many churches get tripped up theologically concerning the word of God. And it says that a man who doesn't do these things will partake unworthily. We often look at that word at face value, how we use it today, and in our mind we think that we have to qualify ourselves. Have to be good enough. And if I'm not good enough, and I partake in communion, then I bring damnation onto myself. I got too many mistakes going on in my life. Can I just preach to you for a moment that if that was the benchmark, we would all fail. Because the Bible says that our righteousness is as filthy rags. There is none righteous, the Bible said. No, not not one. And so that is not the context of the scripture. As a matter of fact, if you studied that word unworthily, etymologically, it actually means to take of the communion irreverently. 
It means to walk in without understanding the gravity of the moment. It means to walk in and just say, oh, everybody's taking communion. I guess I'm going to take communion. To casually approach communion and not give it its due level of respect and consideration. There is no prohibition in the scripture for anybody to not take communion. It says, let a man examine himself and then let him partake. As a matter of fact, if you want to get into this more, go, go study, I think it's Numbers chapter 9 when you get home. Children of Israel are, are about to partake in the ordinances of the Passover. And the Bible said there were some men that came and said, look, we're, we're going to have to sit out this celebration because we, we've been defiled by a dead person's body. And so they brought the men before Moses and said, hey, these, these guys have defiled themselves and so they're, gonna, they're not going to participate in Passover celebration. And Moses said, stand still and let me see what God has to say. And the Bible says that God spoke to Moses and said, these men were defiled or they were traveling in some country far away. He said, don't prohibit them from taking the Passover. You have them celebrate and have them carry out, the Bible said, every ordinance of the Passover. He said, and if a man is clean and has not taken a journey and withholds himself from participating, let him be cut off from my people. He was making a point that said nobody is worthy or good enough. He said, I'm more worried about somebody who doesn't want to be a part of my people. And the one that's going to receive judgment is the one that withholds themselves the process of being reconciled to my people. In other words, God was saying, I don't care what has separated you. I don't care what you've let get in between you and the people of God. Whatever you've got to do, get it together. I'm God enough to handle your mistakes. I'm God enough to handle uh, where you've been uh, and what you've done. He said, what I'm concerned about is the person who thinks they're clean, has no excuse, but yet says, I'm not going to participate. And so, Scripture has no prohibition. It simply admonishes us that there be a time of reflection. Bible says, because when we take communion, we discern the Lord's body. Discerning the Lord's body has a special significance that maybe is better understood by Paul's teaching in 1 Corinthians 12. 
It is here that Paul elaborates on what is meant when he encourages us to discern the Lord's body. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 says, For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. The word communion is a compound word, com and union. The word com means with or together. Union comes from the root word where we get the word unity or oneness. To come together in oneness. It's amazing how we'll shout over one God but sit on a pew divided over one body. It's amazing how some of us will shout over one God's scriptures but sit on the preacher when he talks about being reconciled to your brother or sister. If we're going to be oneness, we had better be more than oneness in our theology of Jesus Christ. We had better be oneness over the body of Christ. Come on. There are many members, but there is one body. And so to discern the body means that there is a level of togetherness that produces a sensitivity in the body where something might be going on with somebody and because we're one body I feel it too <laughs> I remember it's been a while back so Stuck in my mind so strong, I won't forget it. It happened like no other time before. You see, I got this thing where many times I wake up at like three or four in the morning to use a restroom. Anybody beside me? If you're over 40, you just say, hang on. And here's the deal. Three o'clock in the morning when I wake up, I got to go to the restroom. My goal is to try to not wake up all the way. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You, you be like this. I don't want to move too fast. I don't want to wake up all the way. Slowly move my feet out to there. Don't dare open your eyes. And let any light come in. It'll wake you up. You, everything with your eyes closed. Slowly reaching for the bedpost. You, and you shuffle like this. 
with your hand out in front of you, making sure. Huh? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Trying to stay asleep. Because when I get back to that bed, I want to just... Some of y'all do that, and it's only 15 more minutes before the alarm goes off. Got to get that 10 more minutes in. I'm on my way back to the bed. But I'm so asleep that I miscalculate. Wow! That pinky toe. Child, it's one thing when that happens and you're wide awake. But it's next level when you're trying to stay asleep and it happens. I get that. The littlest member of the body. I hit that thing and instantly... I don't know about y'all, but I'm like, and you got to speak in tongues real quick so nothing else comes out. Better speak in tongues so nothing else comes out. You got to fill your mouth with something pure. Immediately sit down and do what? Start rubbing that thing. Ooh. As if you got like magic power in your fingers or something. I take it. I don't know what we do that for. You ever smash your finger with something? Bam, what's the first thing we do? Mm. What, you got medicine in your saliva or something? I, I don't understand. I, why, why do we do that? I'll tell you why. Because the body is designed to instantaneously try to take care of itself. The pinky got injured, but the whole body responded. The littlest member took the hit, but the whole body felt it. Come on, that's what discerning the Lord's body is. It's having a level of togetherness uh, that we have sensitivity uh, one to the other. And I might not be going through anything right now, uh, but I know my sister. Uh, and when I've got that level of discernment, uh, I can pray uh, like I'm supposed to pray. And when I've got that level of discernment, God can use me like, like he uses my natural body to try to take care of the other members. My brother might need held for a little bit. The Desmond, I, I can sense it. I, I know you're smiling and you look good, but, but I can sense something's been going on. And so you know what? In the spirit, I'm doing this with my brother. Come on. Come on. Come on, you can make it. Come on, what's happening? I'm discerning the body. Come on. I'm protecting him. Hey, be careful what you say. Hey, be careful what you do. He's struggling. Come on, my brother. You can make it. What's happening? I'm discerning the Lord's body. When I'm discerning the Lord's body, 
Sister Victorian snaps off on me. She would never do that. I could pick on her. But she gives me two steps and a twist. She can't touch this. And tells me, this is what she's thinking. If I'm carnal, I'll just take it personal and get offended. But if I'm discerning the Lord's body, I'll understand something's going on with my sister. Something going on in the background that I'm not where there's there's a struggle happening in her life. And so you know what? I can take it. I can take the pain. I can take the heat. I just want to make sure she's okay. So you know what? It hurts. But but I love you. And I'm gonna put my arm around you and I'm gonna make sure why. Because when you hurt, I'm hurting. And when you're struggling, I'm struggling. Come on, somebody. is what communion is about discerning the Lord's body Jesus' final prayer was Lord that they may be one as you and I are one oneness no division there's not two camps and three camps and my tribe and your tribe. No, no, no. This is one church. This is one body. Come on. There's no division between us. There's no separation between us. And when something tries to separate us, uh, you don't become my enemy. Uh, the separation uh, becomes our enemy. Uh, and we attack whatever it is uh, that's separating us, uh, not each other. So let's stand all over this place. I'm closing tonight. To discern means to ascertain something that, that might not be perceptible by simple observation. It might look okay. It might sound okay discern the Lord's body you're sensitive to what's happening in the body and you don't have discernment so that you can go gossip because anything in the body that causes division is cancer I have discernment so I can run to my brother. I can run to my sister. And there can be healing. The body is designed to heal itself. I said the body is designed to heal itself. So as we prepare for this upcoming Sunday night, I wonder if God could deal with us over the next few days time of examination time of prayer where we say God I want you to search my heart reveal any wicked way inside of me God give me the humility to make it right first with you 
and then with my brother or my sister. Why? Because we're one body. We refuse to walk into next year's promises with last year's struggle. So next Sunday night when we partake of the fruit of the vine, we break bread and take communion. It is a ritual, it is a rite of the New Testament church where we remember what God has done for us. We look back at the price he paid. We look forward to his coming. And then we discern the Lord's body. That I'm part of something bigger than me. You know what some of our prayer needs to be? Some of us need to pray this prayer. Lord, deliver me from what's in it for me. Deliver me from a selfish mindset. Deliver me from seeing everything from my point of view. Deliver me from seeing everything from my perspective. God, help me to realize that I'm part of something much bigger than myself. That there are so many things that take priority over me and what I want and my desires and my ideas. I wonder if tonight all over this house we could take a few moments around this altar. It's only 9-11. We still got time. I wonder if anybody would, would just respond tonight by stepping out of your pew, coming down to this altar for a few moments with your hands lifted. As we take a few moments to pray, to remember where God has brought us from, to remember what God's done for us, to remember the great body of believers that God has grafted us into tonight. Come on, all over this house. Would you lift your hands all over this place as we begin to pray together? Come on, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Come on. I wonder if you could close your eyes right now as your hands are lifted and just begin to think about where God brought you from. I wonder if you could close your eyes for a few moments with your hands extended tonight. And let a spirit of gratefulness and thankfulness begin to come upon you uh, for what God has done in your life uh, and what he brought you out of. Come on, God, you saved me. God, you rescued me. God, you did a work in my life. Come on, in the name of Jesus. Come on, don't worry about who's standing next to you.
what I feel in the Holy Ghost as we continue to pray. I want every family unit represented here tonight to get together. I want husbands to get with their wives, children to get with their parents, wherever it's possible tonight. I want family units as close as you can to these altars, as close as you can to these altars tonight. Grab your family. If you don't have blood family that's here, that's okay. Just, just stand next to somebody. Stand next to a brother. Stand next to a sister. Stand next to, to family that's here in the church tonight. I'm going to tell you one place that gets neglected. When we talk about unity, we talk about togetherness. I'm going to tell you one place that often gets neglected, and that is the home. I want to tell us tonight, you cannot be the Christian God wants you to be and have disunity amongst you and your family members. Sir, you can't be who God wants you to be. and There be division between you and your wife. Ma'am, you can't be the woman that God wants you to be. You not be submitted and in harmony with the man of your house, your husband. You want to know the very first institution in the Bible is the institution of marriage. The very first place that God displayed his love for humanity. So powerful, in fact, that his commandment to a husband is, Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. I'm going to tell you what God wants to do moving into the new year. God wants, doesn't just want there to be unity in the church. God wants there to be unity in the home. I'm talking to some husbands and wives. There are levels of Holy Ghost breakthrough that God wants to bring you to, that the only thing stopping you right now in your family is the division between you and your spouse. How can two walk together except they agree? You're, you're running after the things of God and you're desirous of the things of God and don't even realize that you're handicapping yourself with the division that's going on at home. I'll tell you what God wants us to do tonight. God wants us to get our hearts right with each other at the home front. Amen. I feel this in the Holy Ghost. God wants us to get our hearts right in the home front. There's some, there's some young people and children in the building. God will not bless you until you learn how to be obedient to your parents. I thought I'd get the moms and dads at least to amen. God cannot bless a smart mouth. Young person, did you know that the first commandment with promise in the Bible is children, obey your parents. That your days 
may be long. Because if you don't, mama going to kill you prematurely. <laughs> you ain't going to make it to your 18th birthday. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> but that's what the scripture says. Young person, do you want to be blessed by God? Then learn to live in your home submitted to authority in your house. Learn how to honor your mom. Learn how to honor your father. Ma'am, do you want to be blessed by God? Honor your husband. Well, he's a loser. Well, the choice was yours. So what does that say about you? The fact of the matter is if that's how you're speaking about your husband, you're being used as a tool of the devil to prophesy destruction over your home. You're prophesying destruction over your house. You need a fresh revelation from God. And you need to see your husband the way God sees him. And you need to see him again the way you saw him when you said, I do. He didn't change. My Lord, it got quiet up in here, up in. He's the same man he always was. You just, you're just seeing all the stuff you refused to see before. And I got another chapter to add. You ain't changed either. You're the same woman he married. He just, there's a whole lot of you he didn't see till he said, I do. So you know what y'all better do is start forgiving one another and start having some patience and mercy with each other. Oh, this... This is a good Holy Ghost preaching right here. And you better start learning how to honor one another. Let me, let me give you a little secret, ma'am. How many of you want your husband to be Prince Charming? I got three of y'all. The rest of y'all want, want a woman beater, I guess. You want to... I'm going to give y'all one more chance for those of you who are hearing impaired. How many of you want your husband to be Prince Charming? I thought so. How many of you want him to work hard for you and your family? Let me give you a secret. Start prophesying. You want him to be your prince? Start treating him like one. He'll become whatever you treat him like. I know, I know. See, the problem is some of y'all would rather listen to your single divorced friends than you would the man of God. Some of y'all would rather read those articles out of those messed up magazines and those social media pages you're following that are giving you bad advice about how to treat your spouse. You better cut them voices out of your mind and start... Let me ask you, how far has it gotten you treating each other that way? How far has it gotten you? So don't be insane 
and keep doing the same thing expecting a different result. You want a prince? Let him show up to a palace. You want a prince? Let him show up to a princess. You see, men have this thing. In, I, I, I don't know why this. I, I'm teaching on communion. How do we get here? You see, men have this thing inside of them that if you set the bar here, they'll kill themselves. You start telling them how incredible he is, and he knows he ain't, you know, he ain't all that. <laughs> Something inside of him is going to wake up every morning saying, I can't let her down. She thinks I'm this great. I better start trying to live up to it. And I feel this in the Holy Ghost. You can be the wind beneath his wings. You don't even understand that your words can be the very thing that give him elevation every day and motivation every day to get up and be everything that God has called him to be. And here's the flip side. The Bible said it is better for a man to dwell in the house top, rooftop alone than in a house with a brawling woman. Some of y'all's knuckles look like street fighters. Go do a study about a nagging wife. Man, I'm helping y'all out big time right now. Y'all better put some extra offering come Sunday. That's all I got to say. Send me a box of chocolates if you want to. Men, let me talk to you for a moment because men interpret this as respect. Women always say this, he don't love me. Men will say, she don't respect me. Y'all are saying the same thing. We just speak two different languages. But it means the same thing to each of us. Men, let me tell you something. Respect is not given. Respect is earned. Quit walking in your house beating your chest like King Kong. Announcing to everybody that you're the man of the house. I'm going to tell you how to show them you're the man of the house. Walk in and drop that paycheck down every week. That'll get you farther than beating your chest 10 out of 10 times. Ladies. Protect your, protect your wife. Cover your wife. You got to earn respect. You want respect, earn it. I think we ought to lift our hands one more time. I know you think I'm off subject, but I'm talking about communion. Coming together as one. And there's no greater example of that than in the marriage. There's no greater example of that than in our homes. God wants communion to start in our house.
Come on, I said God wants communion to start in our household with the husband and with the wife and with the children where we come together when we begin to function the way God called us to. Come on, just a few moments right here. Husband, you ought to grab your wife's hand. Wife, you ought to grab your baby's hands. And we ought to pray for a moment right now in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, God help us tonight. I pray for Come on, God help us you tonight. Pray for me. God help I us tonight. Come on. I need you to serve